and that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to besides concerts, you know, kind of going forward is being able to go to a ball game, being able to go to a, a Kings game for cheap because they suck so bad. And, um, you know, it's, I, I just love live sports and, um, you know, I am very lucky to live in a city where there's so much of it around. And, um, you know, I've had people, I've had people for 15 years asking me, well, you could get a job someplace else. Why do you live in Los Angeles? And my, my answer is the exact same every time. Number one, because this is the concert capital of the universe. Every band comes through here so they can party in Malibu. Number two, sports. And number three, late night and early morning, low clouds burning away to hazy afternoon sunshine, high in the mid-70s for 11 months out of the year. And... Um, did a Randy Newman song just start up? I mean, I know, I know. <laughs> Looks like another perfect day. I love LA. And, uh-huh. and it's, it's just, I, there's so much going on here that oh, yeah. I, I could go, I could go to a good concert or a sporting event every night of the week if I had the inclination and the money to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I myself, and I say this just about every week on this podcast at this point, Cannot wait on getting the second vaccine uh, this coming Wednesday. And oh. from then, I'm already looking at Cubs dates because, yeah, get me to a ball game as soon as you can because that's my happy place even when the Cubs are playing like they are right now. And well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll always be grateful to Jim. He, he texted me one day and said, you need to go here now because they're giving the one-shot Johnson & Johnson thing. And I did. I went – Got the one shot. So of course, reading about you know the six six in six billion, you know yeah. six and six million that are dying from blood clots. You know my my siblings are panicked. You know, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think that David Fletcher has a better chance of hitting sixty home runs this year than you getting a blood oh, clot in the back. So, yeah, it's fine. Did, Don't mean to bring it up so early, but yeah. Did you? Did you see the end of the game, how the game ended last night? Uh, no, no, I, I uh, was busy reflecting on a rare Cub win, so. Yeah, the joy, the happiness. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, basically. You know it is. <laughs> you know, they're in Kansas City, top of the ninth, down three to two, bases loaded, two outs. Um, Royals pitcher throws it in the dirt. It bounces off. The pitcher's, the catcher's chest hits the Angels batter Walsh and starts trickling up the third baseline. And all of a sudden, the, 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 um, the Royals catcher is a stud. He's a total stud. In one motion, he picked up the ball, threw it to third base, and Fletcher was out. He had gone about 20 feet down the line when he realized he was toast. And I just, fuck! <laughs> you know, oh God. It sounds innocent. That's awesome. Uh, well, and uh, you know, it didn't help that Mike Mike Trout struck out four times. I think that was, you know, one of the few times in his career he's done that. And okay. and it's just they. Oh, I still have one game like that a year, and he got it out of the way in April. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, that is. You know, my, my, 
my friends who are into sports, they just, baseball, it lasts so long. And I go, yes, it does. It lasts nine months out of the year. And that's, it can be a grind. But that's why I love the 162 game season is how many times I'm sure if, I'm sure if I did the research, I could find angel seasons. Well, actually I have, I have right here. I have the Wikipedia page list of, Oh, that's another thing. They are not the law. They are not the Los Angeles angels. Anybody that lives here, just laughs at that. They're in Orange County. They're Anaheim. Um, but to to get back to that point is they finished one game behind in 1995. How many of those games did they give up a walk-off home run? You know, how many of those games, it, it kind of evens itself out, but you're just going, oh, that game back in April when they, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, every team, yeah. When you, when you get that close, you always have those – Lingering memories of those couple you gave away at the start, and you go, "Yeah, if only." Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <clears throat> but yeah, let's uh, jump into the show open, and then we will pick right back up here where we left it. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number seventy-one, the Wade Davis episode Whoa. of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus. And stand-up comedian about to get vexed for the second time next week. So, like, actually might be doing comedy for real people sometime soon. Imagine that. <laughs> the other voice you were hearing on this particular episode, I put in a request to my colleagues at Outsports at the beginning of this week on our Slack channel saying, I would like to talk to an Angels fan. And it didn't take more than five minutes for Jim Bozinski and Ted Ziegler to jump in and say, hey, you've got to talk to longtime Angels fan Jim Allen. Joining us here on Three Strikes You're Out. Yes. Nice to see you here, sir. Yes. Go, Angels. Go, Angels. <laughs> and, well, uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It is a pleasure to, to talk about a team with the consensus best player in baseball, the most yes. exciting player in baseball, the most fascinating manager in baseball. And as you said on text message right before we started, you're about to go off on them, the still first place Los Angeles slash Anaheim Angels. Oh boy! <laughs> well, I'm not wrong. You're still leading the division. <laughs> well, thank Where's you, thank you, Alan. Thank you, thank you, Astros, for getting off to a a, a mediocre start. It's really appreciated. <laughs> I mean, when they hide the trash cans, what are they going to do? Oh. We've already solved their superpower. You know, I loved just as a baseball fan. I loved those Astros teams and. Apart from my lust for AJ Hinch, um, he's a really oh oh hell yeah AJ Hinch. Um, uh-huh. He's a really good manager. Boys, Jim Allen, yeah. Oh, tall, thin, hairy. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> and and it's just when that whole thing blew up, I, it was. I think it insulted me more than anything that. It was just so tacky using trash cans, you know, at least when the Patriots cheated, you know, they had some sophisticated things going on, but, you know, trash cans. And so 
I mean, they're, they're, I think they still are the overwhelming favorite to win, um, win the division. But it was nice when they came out here. They just got shredded. People, yes. that is I mean, people were throwing, um, balloon trash cans onto the field and all that. And, you know, come on. Come is, on. Is that the one thing that can unite Dodgers and Angels fans right now? Is that any time you oh, yeah. come to town, you decide you out, put aside the intercity rivalry, let's go get these motherfuckers? Yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's just one of the situations in sports where, okay, when do we, when it's, like we had talked previously, I had a lot of problems with Tommy Lasorda when he was the Dodgers manager because of the way he treated his gay son. And, you know, now it's just, I, for, for the longest time, I just wanted nothing to do with the Dodgers. And now that, he, now that Lasorda has passed away, the Dodgers are a really good baseball team and they're fun to watch. So when, when do we, when do we consider the Astros okay to not hate again. That'll be interesting to find out. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be kind of we're going to go by feel with that. Where <laughs> one day just kind of turn on an Astros game and say, you know, I just don't feel the bile rising up like I used to. And yeah, okay, none of the none that. of the players that were there during that time are there anymore. It's just you right. know we're not yeah. we're not, not some European. We're not, we're not some European country who has a 500 year grudge against another one, you know, and, and it's just, um, I've had so many good times with the angels, but I've also had times when, (laughs) and, um, looking, I, I have the Wikipedia page of their year by year and, you know, we have 1986, which I promise not to talk about, but damn it, 1986. <laughs> but, I, I mean, when they won the World Series in 2002, it was my favorite sports moment ever. I'm, you know, I'm a huge Kings fan. Them winning their first Stanley Cup is the second Um but the Angels finally winning the World Series in 2002, and especially that it denied the Juice King bonds. Um, and yes, he juiced. Just nobody can put on that much muscle. He juiced. Um, you can't uh, put muscle in your forehead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The, the fact that it denied him a World Series made it even better. Um, but looking at their year by year from 2004 to 2009 six seasons they won the western division five of those times and they got bounced in the division series one two three four four of those times and there was the 2008 season and before it, they said, we have specifically built our team to get the best record in baseball so that we have the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And they did. They had the best record in baseball. They went 162. That, And who did they lose to? The effing Red Sox. 
three to one in the first round. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about European football, you know, um, how they'll fire managers after matches. They'll fire them before they even hit the clubhouse. And they should have fired Mike Sosha before he even got to the press conference um, after that. And instead, he hung on for what? Nine more years, <laughs> you know. And let me dive into that. Do you think that Sosha winning so early on in his career, managing that 2002 World Champion, bought him too much time by the end? Well, I think from what I've read, what it did is it made him just the king. You know, he was the king of the angels. And I've read so many articles where he was just a nightmare to play for. He wouldn't allow players to play music in the clubhouse. Um, they had to do all these things particular to him. And players would just leave because they didn't want to play for him anymore. And so he what, just what telling me is they changed their name to the Los Angeles Angels when really their name should have been the town from Footloose Angels. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it was just they I, – I mean, that, that was another embarrassing thing. Look, looking at this, they became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in 2005. And you're kidding me. How embarrassing. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I mean, you know, if you live in – Puxtatani or something, you're not going to know, but Anaheim has nothing to do with Los Angeles. I mean, it's Orange County. It's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different culture. And, you know, it's just, you know, the irony for me is that people hated when uh, Disney owned them, when Disney owned the angels because they just, they couldn't, you know, they had at one year, they had um, go-go dancers on top of the dugout, you know, and, and they just, Oh, it was just, it was embarrassing. I mean, it was just, it was just because, you know, they were Disney and they were going to Disney baseball. And, and all of a sudden, you know, and the big, the big thing was, is the renovation of the stadium. You know, the stadium was built, opened in 1966, and it was a clone of Dodger Stadium, which is, as a, as a stadium geek, is just, it's just a perfect baseball stadium. And yeah. they copied it, except for having the outfield you know, the outfield was always – you're looking at the big, a, the big A thing that they planted in the parking lot, and then you're looking at a freeway. But apart from that, it was a great stadium. And then the Rams made their disastrous move to Anaheim, and they enclosed it. And so all of a sudden you had this great baseball stadium that became this 50 – 6,000-seat baseball stadium for a team that was, you know, drawing 20,000 a year. And and it was just awful. And so one of the things um, that happened was when uh, 
Disney bought it. They tore down all the outfield stuff, but they built the Matterhorn in center field. They built that rock thing, the Matterhorn, and it was just, oh. <laughs> and, it, and it was just the irony being they finally won the World Series in 2002 when Disney owned them, and then they sold out to Artie Moreno, and it's just been nothing since, since they sold it to Moreno. Thanks, Artie. Yeah. yeah, and he's kind of dictatorial, too, as an owner, isn't he? He's, oh, he's, he wants to be the one that makes the calls and everything. Well, it's just you're the owner. Just provide the money. You know, yeah. make sure that you're – Make sure that your GM and your manager are doing good jobs and aren't getting into legal troubles, and just go away. I mean, that was one of the problems of having um, Gene Autry own them. Was he was Gene Autry? He was the cowboy, and he was he was going to dictate who they traded for, and it was a disaster. And that's one of the good things about the mouse is except for the dumb things they tried to do promotions-wise, they basically said, here, your job is to run the business. If you're successful, you get to stay. And they they basically stayed out of it, but they have a meddling owner again. And that's why, that was one of the reasons why Sosha stayed for so long, is they got along so well, he just wasn't going to fire them. And, yeah. and so the thing about Keith and Sosha, and that kind of brings us, close to where we are with the present day team and why it's been so frustrating, or at least my theory watching, you know, from several thousand miles away, is that because Sosha stayed so long, and as you were saying, was so wedded to that kind of old school baseball, both mentality and style of play. That right, right. By the time, before the end of his, his, his era, that's when Trout was coming up and destroying baseball. But the rest of the team was constructed as if it were still like 1993. Right. And right. So you had that period at the beginning of Trot's career where you had him establishing early on that this was clearly a transcendent once in a generation player in all of baseball, not just for the, the Angels, but the entire sport being right. surrounded right. by somebody stuck in the ways from the Tommy Lasorda era. Right. Right. And I mean, it's it's frustrating because they do have the. Be- I mean, I think he is the best player in baseball, and I also appreciate that um, he resigned here. I mean, he could have made he could have made enough money to fund entire countries. You know, if he if he was gonna if he was gonna be a free agent when he was a potential free agent, and the angels the angels just gave him a pile and he stayed here. And I think he likes the fact that he's not in. You know, because everybody's saying sign with the Yankees, sign with the Mets. Think of your brand. Think of your. And he doesn't. It doesn't seem he cares about that at all. In fact, he likes being out here when nobody basically pays attention to him. And, um, you know, so what? His first year was 2011. That's right. And, and it's, it was just frustrating because they would keep bringing in these players and they, the perfect example of it is 
Albert Pujols. Right. And when they signed Pujols, I went nuts. I said, oh, my God, the best first baseman in baseball. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What a stud. What a stud. And it soon became clear that the Cardinals pulled the fast one on the Angels. They knew he was on the downside of his career. He was going to start on the downside of his career. And they got a ton of money and I think draft picks. And plus they got rid of his horrible wife. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, they got rid of him and he's just been, he's been a burden on him. He signed uh, a 10 year, no cut contract. And 30 seconds after he retires, he gets $10 million put into his bank account. They gave him just $10 million when you retire just because. And Good fuck-off money. I'll take that. Well, and, you know, it's just there's uh, – there's, they're in this, in these kind of positions where, okay, we paid this guy just one of the biggest salaries in baseball, and he's hitting 240. We, we can't sit him down. How would that look? You know? Yep. And, I mean, and, in, in a vacuum, uh, just the idea yeah. of when they signed him, you have the consensus best player in baseball, Mike Trout. And then adding to the lineup, just the theory of bringing in the former best player in baseball and Albert Pujols, making that a one-two punch. Yeah, of course you'd think that's, that's a great thought. But as you said, you know, you gotta have knees and feet to hit. And Albert kind of left those in St. Louis. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I, I just was shocked a couple years into his tenure here. Just, how how much he had declined and you know the the basic idea is you, you don't give that much money to somebody who was what 32 i think when they signed him um 30 31 length is what killed him the, the 10 yeah the, the oh yeah three-year deal fine fine yeah. and and it's just it, it's it is amazing when I look, just looking at the teams that I follow, uh, how important the owner is to the situation, um, uh, and how, how their decisions of hands on, hands off, and especially who they hire as the general manager and the manager or the coach of the team are. Um, I, I mean, look at the Rams. Um, they should have won the Super Bowl, what, two, three years ago? Mm-hmm. And um, now, basically, McVeigh is is playing for his, his job this year, you know, because he, he put it all in on Jared Goff, and, well... No, <laughs> you know, and and so they're you know so all of a sudden they go from being a should have been Super Bowl winner to two three years later, well the coaches the coaches coaching for his job this year and so you you can see how I, that was something I had to learn when I was a teenager is 
oh, it's not just the players. It's the managers and the coaches making the decision. Who sits? Who plays? You know, um, and all the all the the clubhouse atmosphere over 162. That's that's such a huge thing in baseball. Oh, it is. And that Joe Madden has a history of being great at. And and, let's ask about that. So, are Angels fans satisfied with what Madden's done so far? It's only been a year, but. Well, I mean, I think last year he got an asterisk in the sense of, okay, we know you're coming into a bad situation. It would be nice if we won the World Series this year, but, you know, we're going to give you a couple years to to redo the roster, get players in there that want to play like you play, and we'll see how it goes from there. And I was I was ecstatic when they hired him um, because – I thought they should have when they should have fired Sosha and given him whatever money it would have taken for him to leave Tampa Bay and brought him in, you know, in, in the 2000, 2008, 2009. And to, I, I can tell you firsthand, pirating Joe Ben from Tampa Bay, really fucking good idea. Turns out that works out really well in the end. Well, yeah. it's just, I, I mean, I've only, I've only been to Wrigley Field once. And in 1993, an ex-boyfriend of mine who was also a huge baseball fan, he was a, he was a Royals fan, um, uh, we decided to go on a baseball tour. So we, we figured 1993, you know, and keep in mind, this is kind of the early days of the internet. So it was really difficult to kind of figure out, but we, we went to St. Louis, Wrigley Field, the White Sox, and their dull corporate ballpark. Yeah. Um, yep. um, Pointing arrow field, yes. Yep. <laughs> and um, the, the final year of Cleveland Stadium, 70, oh, 76,000-seat wow. Cleveland Stadium, you know, 17,000 people there. That was fun. The and the absolutely. Uh, the mistake by the lake. And we went to the second year that the Orioles ballpark was open. Um, is it still Camden Yards? Yeah, still Camden Yards. It's still a mess. Oh, still, I mean, we, we couldn't believe it. We just, oh, my God, this is how to watch baseball. They should play every baseball game ever here. Beautiful. And I, the I thing was, is, that, uh, if you if you can survive St. Louis with a boyfriend, then yeah, that's a special guy right there. You can make it through St. Louis. Well, it's just you know to go to Wrigley Field, we we were we didn't know how it worked, and so we didn't buy tickets beforehand. We didn't realize they were playing the Cardinals Ooh, until yeah. it was too late, and. Tickets sold out in about 45 seconds, and and we had to pay 60 bucks in 1993 money at our hotel to get seats. And we walked in there and we went, whoa, whoa, the wall, the wall. Oh my God! Oh. And that was when the Cubs had Mark Grace who is one of my absolute all-time lust objects. And, yeah, that's um, understandable. 
And I, I mean, just the crowd and the intensity of it and how I loved how almost everybody in those pre-cell phone days was focused on the game. You know, every pitch got a reaction. People were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was just to go to the White Sox game the next day where it was just this dull, empty stadium with a nothing team. You know, it was just, whoa. (laughs) And, you know, so it was, it was great to go to Wrigley Field. And when they hired Joe Madden, I, I just thought that is a great, a great find for them. Um, and it worked out well, didn't it? Yeah. He came at the best possible time when they could have used somebody with his experience and his knowledge and his ability to kind of absorb some of the distractions in the clubhouse and kind of let the focus be on him so that some of the pressure was off the players. Uh, right. And right. Yeah. He, he did a thing like at the start of every year, especially early on that, that worked out well where he would kind of introduce a slogan. Uh, the first year was try not to duck. The second year was embrace the target. And it's, you know, corny and kind of, you know, marketing advertising speak, but for baseball players, especially guys who were wrapped up in, as we talked about before, the epic quest, it really worked because it really kind of kept them focused on what was most important to the job at hand. And it was also, you know, a, a lighter touch too. And, and they needed right. with the way the media here gets, they needed as, as many light touches as they could get. Is, is, has right. he brought the slogan to Anaheim? Is that still a thing he's doing? No, not that I know. Ah, that's, yeah. that's good. That's really cool. That's really cool. Try not to suck. You suck. In the bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was it was of Beavis and Butthead stuff. And it was the most popular T-shirt in the park for years. And then so he, in the Wonder started... World Series, he went – he went to the rally wearing a T-shirt that said, we didn't suck. Oh, face, face crowd, yeah. face. Yeah. So, so he, they hired him in – he started in 2015, and they won the World Series in, in 2016. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, as, as a baseball fanatic, you know, obviously the Cubs' hideous history for the most part. <laughs> um, at least, yeah. I mean, just some of those collapses. What was? The, I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on one second. Let me let me click sure. on on the Cubs Cubs history here. Sure. I mean, I could there was I could reset them off the top of my head if you want. I mean, well, there was one where eighty four, two thousand three, well, sixty nine. Um, but uh, there was one year where they just fell apart. Um, uh, there, there was more than eight, one year, my friend. There, there was 80, way more than one year of that. Um, uh, you know, they they just had a they just had one season that was just an absolute classic collapse, and and it, it was just you don't you don't I don't really believe any of this stuff, but it was almost okay. Did somebody? Kill somebody in the stadium, and there's and a a curse or something, you know. And well, that that was the thing is that, I mean, the the, the legend surrounding the team was the curse of the Billy Goat. Uh, 
And oh, that's years, right. Yeah. For years, that was passed off as, like, as just a Chicago story where, you know, fans would, like, tell the story with, like, a wink and saying, yeah, of course, that's the reason why they don't win. And then, like, as they had, like, famous epic collapses, like the 84 choke job against the Padres and then especially in 2003 against the Marlins with the infamous fall ball game. And once that got picked up by Fox and the national media, then players started getting asked about that like it were a real thing. Like legitimate people who call themselves journalists would go up to other grown men and say, hey, do you think this goat curse is real? And that that's the kind of thing <laughs> that Joe Madden was so adept at, at kind of keeping that element away from the players as best he could. And I have right. a sense that with right. the Angels, it, it, there's no curse at this point or any mystical. No, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. The pressure is about, the pressure is, I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, the pressure with them is can you guys get it together in time so you can finally take advantage of having the transcendent Mike Trout on your roster? Well, just just to finish off a thought, there is a curse on the Angels. It's the oh, okay. Indian burial ground curse. Um, oh, allegedly, allegedly, Cowboy Autry built Anaheim Stadium on an old Indian burial ground, huh. and I, I use the word allegedly intentionally. Um, uh, there's really no proof of it, but for years it was just. Oh, oh well, Indian barrel ground curse. Oh well, <laughs> you know. And um, I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Cubs, and they they just had nothing. I mean, just nothing for all those years. And I, I mean, basically from World War Two. Until 1969. Yeah. 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 And, um, wow. Well, and it's also, it's also strange. I have to, I have to keep remembering how, how often baseball has been rearranged in terms of who's in what division and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that was, that was one of the things um, is there was talk of the Angels moving to the National League. And I didn't want that to happen because I didn't want them to stop using the designated hitter. <laughs> so um, if, we, if we can get into that controversial topic, um, I am well, I mean, pro-designated. I am pro-designated hitter, have been since the get-go, and – I don't care about your pitcher hitting 098 being able to bat. I, <laughs> well, I mean, on the topic of pitchers versus designated hitters, uh, you do have one guy who can throw 101 and hit a ball 119 miles an hour. So, oh, please don't hurt yourself. Please. Yeah. Please yeah, so don't. Please don't I, I please don't ask. tear your shoulder out. <laughs> on, on, on the subject of weird things Joe Madden can do, and he will do weird things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, what were you thinking in that opening game on the Sunday nighter when he left Otani in to try to get the the win and, and try to get him the five innings, and then had him throw an extra twenty twenty five pitches and get it, his feet taken out from him on a play at the plate? 
I don't know if you heard it. You might have, but I screamed. Speaking of Joe Madden, here are a couple commercials that try not to suck. Let's see how well they do at that. And I'm happy to say that as of the past four years, I know what that's like. Because it's that moment when it happens and it all comes together. And it take, it's that moment that suddenly changes everything about your sports history from, you know, all the years of near misses and heartache and collapses down the stretch. And in that split second, like when Darren Erstad grabs that fly ball to end game seven, it's all worth it. And that's that well, like not just yep. for Angels fans, but for baseball fans, is that we're going to have a moment where Mike Trout is the one grabbing that left left out of the World Series. And we all go, yeah, your journey took a long time, but you made it, man. And that's going to be sick. Yeah, you, 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 now, you now won't have that asterisk next to your name after you retire. Best player of his generation, but never won anything. Um, yeah. And, let's, let's you know, it's just. Jerry Bond. How about that? Oh, yes. 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 Oh, God, when he was with the, when he was with the Pirates, that epic, that epic collapse. I can't even, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was against. Where they, the Braves. The Braves, that's right. That's right. And, and it's just, you know, with, with the Angels, I, I have to talk about 1986. I have to, I have to, I have to have a, have a purge moment here. Oh, is, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I really thought they were going to win the World Series that year. I I thought they are absolutely the best team in baseball. They have it together. And, you know, the for them to get to the playoffs, I just thought, okay, they just have to keep it together and they have to um, just play play their best baseball and you know to get to get to that point where uh where they were literally one strike away from proceeding and it was uh it was gene mock you know Mm-hmm. Because he he made one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in baseball, where he had Mike Witt um, pitching, and he pulled him, and it turned out I found out later that he was one of the early sabermetrics types, and I I loathe sabermetrics for a bunch of different reasons, but a good start is because of Gene Mock. And, and so he pulls it, pulls him out, brings in the guy who promptly hits the batter and then long drive to deep left field. Oh my, the weather. And, and the thing, the thing that cracks me up is people that don't follow baseball and especially don't follow the Angels, they think that won the game for the Red Sox, but they actually came back, tied the score in the bottom of the ninth, and then lost in the 11th inning. And they went to Boston and got the shit kicked out of them in game six and seven. And to make it hurt even more, yeah. To make it, I, I mean, and it was just, they had everything going for them. And, you know, it was just... A really 
bad decision to pull your best pitcher for, oh, we have to have a left-hander pitching against a left-hander. Well, no, not necessarily. And, you know, another thing that I loved about the Angels was we were so lucky in Los Angeles for a long time to have in my extremely not at all humble opinion, the four best announcers in each of their sports, mm-hmm. um, which would have been Vin Scully doing the Dodgers. Um, we had, um, excuse me, we had uh, Chick Hearn doing the Lakers. We had Bob Miller doing the Kings. And uh, uh, we had Dick Emberg doing the Angels. And I, I, I still say, oh, my, all the time, just because of, of Dick Ember. And, you know, uh, uh, we were so lucky to have those four people be the announcers. And I grew up with Dick Emberg doing UCLA games, Rams games, and Angels games. And I seriously considered in high school – pursuing a career as a sports announcer. And, you know, I took I took a few voice lessons and I practiced all the time. And then I realized, oh, I'm gay. There's no openly gay there's no openly gay announcers. If yeah. if I have to if if I do proceed in this career, I'm probably gonna have to have a fake marriage and all that. And I just said I'm not Gonna, I'm not going to be in a situation where, you know, I'm going to be hired by a team and, oh, we found out you're homosexual. And, you know, I, I probably, you know, shot myself in the foot there, but it was just, I'm still waiting for an openly gay baseball player to come out while they're playing. And, um, I'm not very hopeful, to be honest. Um, but that's I just the thing. Is, is I mean, it's not just, you know, on the field, but also I did a piece on Outsports back over the winter uh, asking the question, why are there no out gay by play, or gay play-by-play sports announcers, like in any sports at this point? Uh, because that's, I mean, you'd think working in television that that would be an open and friendly environment. And one of the reasons right. I think I found out in talking to a guy, uh, Jonathan Clement, who was openly gay, and announcing hockey in Elmira, New York, in the minor leagues, is that the way things are set up on the ladder on the way up in sports announcing, you have to go to those small and mid-sized markets of like you know, uh, you know, exactly, fifty thousand people, and that's you know, hit and miss at best in terms of are they going to accept me for who I am? And thankfully, Jonathan's found acceptance in Elmira, but that is not a given. And the fact that oh, moving up the ladder like that is essential in that job. That's, I think, what stops so many people, so many people. That's exactly it. Who thank you. It. Thank you for verbalizing it. That, I mean, thanks for verbalizing it. That was, that was what my concern was, is I was going to be stuck in Poughkeepsie, you know, announcing hockey, trying to be openly gay. And I just, I very early on, I knew I was gay when I was nine years old and um, I, I I had my first crush on a guy when I was six 
Um, and I was nine years old and I was sitting at lunch, sitting in the lunchroom at school and I'm looking at this, at this guy that I had a crush on and he's flirting with this girl. And I just thought to myself, I'm never going to flirt with girls. Oh, oh, oh. And so, I, I mean, I knew early on and I simply wasn't going to be a closet case. I simply wasn't going to lie and have a, have a, a fake marriage, a beard, um, to do that. And, and it just, it just bums me out because I would love to be, um, a baseball and hockey announcer. Um, it's just, it's, it makes such a difference watching a game with the announcers. And, um, and it's especially, it's especially funny to watch, to watch English football and, how the announcers, you know, they have 90 minutes and a good half of that is just players standing around, but they still have to come up with stuff. They still have to, well, we realize that Everton hasn't won an away match at, at this place since 19, you know, I mean, having to constantly keep the interest up and the conversation going. And I, I just find, I find that a, a great talent. Um, yeah. And I, I think Vin Scully became kind of a parody of himself towards the end. You know, it was, well, I remember back in 1957 when so-and-so uh, hit three home runs at Wrigley Field and blah. You know, he kind of became a parody of that um, towards the end. But when he was at his peak, he was just absolutely phenomenal. And, yeah. you know, the thing about him is that even – at the end, he was still incredibly watchable, at least to my to my eyes. As, oh yeah, as a game. I I still wanted to hear the old stories of him going ice skating with Jackie Robinson. Like <laughs> you can't tell that enough times for me. So right. yeah. and I, I'm I'm so glad that I the one of the very few good things about this pandemic is being able to watch sports all the time. Um, you know. Uh, it's it's made it's made being stuck in this apartment so much pretty bearable and I'm I'm really happy about that. Now if the Angels can just have a decent season, that would be a bonus. <laughs> Lead a cherry on top. Yeah, they came through when we needed them to, and that's that's something to remember and to appreciate. And uh, yep, yeah, I absolutely, you, Jim Allen. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's been great talking to you, and please stay in touch. All right. 